0: Amen. All right. You guys can be seated. Happy Father's Day. We are so glad that you're here. I want to start in this spot. If you haven't, you will. And I venture to say that you have uh, experienced at some level what in the 1500s, St. John of the Cross called in a poem, the dark night of the soul every single followers of Jesus for sure and really every human being it is part of the human experience period to have moments to have seasons that are dark our culture is fascinated right now and rightly so with mental health and in a lot of ways we're catching up to what what God has created in the mind and the soul of human beings. And we're learning so much and every one of us will have these dark nights of the soul. But for those of us who follow Jesus, I want to look at that dark night of the soul from perhaps a slightly different angle and even learn from King David in the Psalms a little bit today As he was fleeing, in Psalm chapter 3, he wrote this as he was fleeing from his own son. Think about that. His own son was chasing after his dad, wanting to kill him and take his throne. That's the setting that we're in. But as you think about the dark night of the soul, I think oftentimes we run to that place being one of a certain kind of suffering or a loss or, and, and some kind of thing that sends us into that place. And I think that those things can trigger or aid in a dark night of the soul. But I also want to say that you can find yourself in a dark night of the soul without any big thing to point to. But rather than thinking about that dark night of the soul, As a terrible place to be, I want to kind of flip that and invite you to notice that perhaps God might be inviting you into that place to help you grow and to maybe even as John Calvin said, knock down a few idols of the heart. Psalm 42 is a great example of this. And so before we get to Psalm 3, I want to set the table by thinking about the beginning of Psalm chapter 42. Here's what it says. It says, as a deer, get the picture, a deer out in, not the city, (laughs) in the wild, in the fields, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He doesn't want some counterfeit. He wants the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Most of us who are Christians that have heard Psalm 42, we think about that. Or maybe if you grew up in the... In the 80s and 90s like I did, there was a song that went with that. If you grew up in church, I'll spare you the song, though I could break it out right now and you'd all be done with me. But oftentimes, those of us who have been around the Bible and around church and and, and been doing this for a while, we, we read that and we just think, man, that's good poetry. What a beautiful thing, my soul thirsts for God. Like, yes, that's awesome. And that is awesome, but that's not what this, what's happening here. Think about this. The, the author is searching for God and cannot find him. The dark night of the soul is often that place where you are going to find yourself and maybe you find yourself on this Father's Day wishing that you could find the presence of God but not hearing or seeing him in your life. If I was to poll every single one of you, you would be able to tell me the stories of the times where you so wanted the presence of God but could not find the presence of God. That's the place where the psalmist is. My soul thirsts for God and yet my tears streaming down my face and into my mouth and I'm tasting the salt, the bitterness of my tears because I I can't find him. My tears are reminding me all day, every day, where is your God? We've all had that moment. Maybe you're having that moment. And if you haven't or can't remember the last one, you're going to find that moment soon. That's not to make Father's Day real morbid or downer. It's just reality. Maybe you experienced that over the last 18 months. As you watched pandemic world and election in this country and all the things, right? And then even on this Father's Day, as we think about David, as we flip back to Psalm 3, fleeing from his own son, it's in that moment of what I would call intense suffering. At the hands of your own son... That triggers David's dark night. Because look at the beginning of Psalm chapter 3. Look at where David starts here. As a dad fleeing from his son. He says this in verse 1. Oh Lord how many are my foes. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul. There is no salvation for him in God. There is no salvation for him in God. Every culture throughout all of time has said that to us. If you find yourself as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century United States of America, the average culture would say to you, there is no salvation for you in God. Have you not read anything in modern science? Have you not read anything in modern history? Have you not, are you not paying attention? There's no salvation for you in God. That's where David is in this dark night of the soul. And yet, it's in that place that I want you to see where David's spiritual journey went in response to that. Because it can't be taken out of the context that it was written in. We can't take Psalm 3... And remove it from the fact that he was hiding from his own son who wanted to kill him and take his throne. You, you cannot take this psalm away from that because it's, it's everything to what he's written here. His enemies are succeeding. He's failing. And he apparently has people around him who are telling him that the Lord is not with him in this dark moment that there is no hope, that there is no salvation for him in God. You know, as we think about our own day, it was almost caught me off guard this week, uh, a study came out about how many people in the United States believe that there's a God, not necessarily our God, not necessarily Jesus, but just that they believe there's a higher power. It was something like 70%. And I'm like, well, how can, how can 70% of people believe in this country that there is a higher power, but the atmosphere be such as it is? N.T. Wright has a great thought on that. and, And here's what he says. It's not so much that the world doesn't believe in God. Most people simply can't imagine what it might be like to live in God's world in his time, In his space and in his matter. In other words, we don't have the imagination. We can't fathom why God would care about me. How we could live in a place with such profound brokenness and yet there still be that good God that we sang about today. Massive questions. And so David's in that dark night of the soul. And just as he does, I want to invite you to, as a follower of Jesus, as one of his kids that Romans tells us are adopted into his family, I want to invite you to, like David, in the face of that kind of opposition, to tell a different story. To tell a different story to the world around us than the one they maybe have heard about Christians. Look at verse 3 again or for the first time, it says this, in the face of what was just said to him by the people around him, that there's no salvation for him in God, here's what he says, in the the face of that, you, O God, are a shield about me. I love that. You, O God, you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Verse 4, I cried aloud, I cried out loud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. For David, that holy hill is Zion, that place that he would sit as king in Jerusalem, up on a hill where everybody would look to Jerusalem and say, that is the city of God. And so as David was remembering that hill, you and I today, what is what is our glory? What is our salvation? It's the same God, but we look to a hill called Golgotha, a place of the skull where Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords would step off of his throne, come and ascend that very same hill that David was referring to, to lay down his life so that you and I could have life. What an amazing thing that as David wrote that he couldn't possibly have fathomed that you and I would sit here right now and look back as he looked forward that we would look back to that very same hill, that very same Zion, that very same city of God where the Savior of the world would do what nobody else could do. It's powerful. Think about this though. In verse 4, it's relational, isn't it? It says, think about this, as he wrote this, I cried out loud to God. (laughs) You ever do that? You ever have that moment? Why? (laughs) I cried out loud to God. But listen to this. It says, and he answered me. And he answered me from his holy hill. Can we have a church moment here? For some of you that grew up in a certain way, your doctrine and your theology aren't going to allow you to have that moment. I'm not just talking about the audible voice of God that you get dreams and visions and snakes rise and all the weird things that maybe you've seen. But I do want to push back a little bit and say, if God is the same as scripture tells us yesterday, today, and forever, then he's the same God who answered David as he's running from his son in his dark night of the soul. And I just want you to know that Satan doesn't want you to have that kind of relationship with God. So he's going to even take the good things that we have, our doctrine, our theology, our scripture, and use it against you. And I just want to pause that for maybe some of you who feel like you just can't find the presence of God right now, that maybe you need to go back to this place that David was and say, no, 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 God, you are a shield about me. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. And I will literally get up tomorrow morning and cry out loud to you. And I'm going to wait for you to answer me. And let me tell you, he will answer you in that place. So this dark night of the soul then is a teaching moment for us. It's a teaching moment for us in this moment because what is God when you're having the dark night of the soul? What is God when you've wandered from your faith and you're just, You maybe know that there's a God, but he seems so far away from you right now. What what is this God in that dark night of the soul when you're panting and thirsting for God like a deer in the desert and you cannot find water? David gives us at least six things about God that liberate our thinking about who God is. In suffering. Because remember, he's running from his son. Okay? He's going to say these six things right here in the Bible while he's running from his son who wants to kill him and take his throne. I, I, just, I can't stress enough that it's in that moment where God seems far <laughs> that David writes these six things about God. Please don't separate those because it's so important to why they matter so much. Six details about God that liberate our thinking about God. Number one, God is a shield around you. God is a shield around you. A shield because there's a very real enemy to your soul. I've already referenced that, but you, you can't live in this life as a Christian and think that there's not actively a war battling. Camden mentioned it in the Welcome. That that even after you are saved, that there's still a battle raging over your soul every day. The Hebrew word for shield there, when it was originally written in the Psalm, the Hebrew word literally means the scaly hide of a crocodile. Right? Like, do you ever see a crocodile like grab something and start to roll, and it just destroys everything in its path? his defense, it's, it's, it's his livelihood. Think tough, think battle, think crocodile. Ephesians 6.12 says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. You are in a battle and you need a shield. But I also want you to think about this. Doesn't it take a great deal of trust to hide behind a shield? You're not going to grab any shield and you go into battle, right? Like if you're going to go into battle nowadays, you're going to go in like a tank, <laughs> You're just going to roll in. You might come in in like a stealth bomber that nobody knows you're there. Think about David. If he was going to hide behind a shield that somebody was going to shoot arrows at, that shield better work, right? That, that shield had better not be pretty. That's not helpful in war. It's got to work. It takes a great deal of trust. Why should we trust in this shield? Why should we trust in this God to be our shield when you're in the dark night of the soul? When you can't find your way out of the darkness, why trust this God tomorrow when you get up and you cry out loud to Him, needing Him to answer? 1 John chapter 4 verse 4 says this, and don't you love how we're addressed here? Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Come on. Somebody needs that today. You're from God. Not just any old little G God. You're from God. And you've overcome them. Why? Because he who's in you is greater than he who is in the world. Why should you trust that this God is a shield around you? Because whatever little lies the devil's telling you in your head are lies. And that the one who's in you is greater than than the one who is in the world. God is a shield around you. He is your scaly crocodile hide when people are coming at you, even if it's your son trying to take your throne. Powerful. God is your shield. And so if you've taken that shield and thrown it to the side and you are struggling in this life, I want you to know the beauty of the gospel is that you can grab that shield and pick it up and put it back on and he won't look at you any different than the day you dropped it. Amen? Number two, David says, God is my glory. I love that. I've wrapped myself in his scaly hide as protection, and now he's my glory. In other words, you and I don't have to manufacture glory for ourselves. That hits different in this day and age, doesn't it? We don't need more followers, more likes, more friends, more kids, more jobs, more hobbies or anything else more than you need God right now. Nothing, nothing else. God himself is our glory. God himself is our significance. God himself is your ultimate joy. See, verse four is relationship. It's all about relationship with him. I love that it says, I cried out loud to my Lord. I love that because it's real for David. And he expected that God would answer him and God answered him. I love that. God is our shield. He's our glory. He's our joy, our significance. Then number three, David says, and he's also the lifter of my head. Why the lifter of my head? Have you ever been so tired that you can't keep your head up? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you might be there right now. You're like, this guy would just stop. (laughs) Amen, pastor. Wrap it up. (laughs) We've all had those moments, though, where we stayed up too late or we did something or, you know, our kids were up all night or, you know, you were sick all night and, you know, you get up that next day and it's just like, it's a battle, right? It's a battle. Not all battles are beat you to death battles. Some battles are just mentally exhausting physically exhausting, spiritually exhausting, and you just can't keep your head up. God's the lifter of our head, because for a lot of life, especially in these dark nights of the soul, you will be downcast physically, emotionally, spiritually, because when you look around, things are not as they're supposed to be. There are things that are broken. If you sit here today and you don't have a good dad or you lost your dad or whatever the case may be, there are things that are not as they should be. And so you quite literally need somebody to be the lifter of your head. You need a father who is perfect in heaven to be the lifter of your head because there are very real aspects in your life Of where you need him. It's the lifter of our head. If you drop down. To verse 5. I love that David's being pursued by. His son who wants to die. And what does it say David did? It said I laid down and I slept. (laughs) It's hard to sleep when you're stressed. It's hard to sleep when your mind's running a thousand miles an hour. And you're having conversations with people. And you haven't even had them yet. And you're just Going, 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 because you are downcast. You're in a battle. He's our sustainer. says, I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. You get the fact that he thought, I might just go to sleep and I may never get up again. But what does he say? But I woke up. Why? Because the Lord sustained me. The Lord sustained me. I love that. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Why is that such a big deal for you? Verse 17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Feel like your life's fallen apart? Hand it back to the Lord. Feel like you can't figure out which way is up? Hand it back to the Lord. Feel like you're lost? Hand it back to the Lord. Because he was the creator of all things and he knows how all things ought to be and he's willing to take your life and make it what it should be. Doesn't mean it'll be easy. David's hiding from his son. His son wants to kill him and yet he's saying, I woke up. Because God's my sustainer. He's holding me, quite literally holding me together. Some of you have so many kids at home, you're like, yes, Lord, sustain me (laughs) on this Father's Day. Number five, he says that God is his Savior. He first asks the question in, in verse seven, he says, arise, O Lord save me my god save me please strike my enemies down salvation belongs to the lord verse 8 both eternally right eternally and presently eternally because john 316 and 17 is true that for god so loved the world if you're not a christian today i want you to know that god loved you so much that he sent his prized possession his son that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life that sits different (laughs) eternal life that even if it goes horribly wrong in this life there's another one coming but don't you love verse 17 that it's also present it's not just eternal it's active right here right now because Most people who aren't Christians, and if that's you today, you might think that God is here to condemn you. I just want you to know that that's not the God that we serve. That He came and He died so that you could have life. Right? Because verse 17 says that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world through Him might be saved. God is our Savior for all of eternity. Fixed, finished, settled in heaven. But that matters to you right now because He's your Savior in a very real sense because He's the shield, the lifter of your head, your glory, your joy, your sustaining power. It's actually here right now as you, like a deer, look for water. He's that real in the dry land. And then finally, number six God is our blessing. I love this. In verse 8, he just ends this way, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Ephesians one three says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's all yours. All of it. (laughs) There's a theologian... Walter Brueggemann, who talks about this place that we find ourselves, this dry land between death and resurrection, right? Already, but not yet. I I know there's a God, but where are you? This sort of experiential purgatory, right? Where you're just waiting on the Lord. And he says, maybe we should start thinking about the Psalms, uh, not necessarily in their main categories of lament and hymns and royal Psalms and all the things and all the what all of us nerd theologians do with the Bible. He says, but what if they're just the Psalms that walk with you in your orientation to God and then your disorientation to God because life goes sideways and then your reorientation back to God because you know that he's real. That sounds more like the life that the psalmist is having for 150 chapters, doesn't it? I love that. Why is that so helpful? Because the Psalms are raw. David's running from his son. And he's saying, God is my only hope. (laughs) They wander through all of our human emotions, don't they? Anger, abandonment, sin, triumph, love, safety, hope, all of it. And friends, I don't know what you're facing today. I really don't. Maybe, maybe you're just disillusioned with the whole thing because you spent 18 months not talking to anybody. It's very real. Wherever you are, I just, I just want you to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, Psalm 3:8 is for you today. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and your blessing beyond your people you can pick up that scaly crocodile hide and put it back on right now and take a step forward because God is for you and not against you. Around here, we call that kind of peace shalom. Universal flourishing and human delight. Uh, It's more of that, please, right? But the shalom that the Bible offers is not the peace that the world offers. I want to end in this place. I'm going to have the band come up. We're going to sing again because it's been awesome today. We want to sing more. But I want you to listen to this about what James Smith says about shalom. Listen carefully. He says, Shalom is not the biblical language for progressivist social amelioration or progress. He says, Shalom is is a Christ-haunted call to long for kingdom come. Right? How did Jesus teach us to pray? That your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We need you, and we need you now. We don't need you then. I'm not then. (laughs) I believe heaven's coming. I believe it's all going to be good. But I need you right now. Universal flourishing and delight is the Christ haunted longing for kingdom to come. What does us doing this on a Sunday have to do with it? Listen to what he goes on to say. Christian worship is a unique gift in this respect, a strange sort of reminder, since it reminds us not just of a past, but of a future. Christian worship gifts us with a unique sort of inertia that is a political virtue. Worship again and again and again interrupts the course of this world. Every time you come here on Sunday, physically, in the room or online, you go to YouTube and you click in. You deliberately come and gather with the people of God. Again and again, it interrupts the course of this world. Through worship, the Christian community testifies that the world is not its own. It might be having its day, but it's not its own. There is a God who sits above it all and will make all things new. So I love it. It ends in this place and then we're going to sing. Why don't you stand as I read this last sentence for you? I love this. This is why the celebration of worship is not directed simply against this or that. It is directed against the totalization of political existence in general. Your hope is not found in the people of this world. And so here's the last sentence of the chapter. I love this. It says, "In this sense, lift up your hearts." What did David said? He's the lifter of your head.) <laughs> Lift up your hearts is a political admonition that I say to you every week. Your hope is found in Jesus. And Jesus alone. Amen. So listen, I don't know where you are today, what you're facing today, what's gone sideways in your life, or whether you've walked away from Jesus, or whether you're coming back to Jesus, or you're just here because... Your kid wanted you to be here. I don't know what you're here for, but I don't believe in accidents. So I just want to say to you, salvation belongs to the Lord. And if you need somebody to be a shield around you, the glory of your life, to bring joy back into your life, to be the lifter of your head, to give you hope. And a peace and a future, then you are in the right place because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He walked out of the splendors of heaven so that you could find life right now, right now. So come on, would you lift up your voice with me? Let's sing this out, and then I'll come back up. As we. Sing.